The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Well, hello, everyone. This is Dr. Doug Birch, co-pastor of Evergreen Church, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So I think you want your life to have meaning, significance. We all want to do great things, at least most of us do. But when I look at the scripture, I realize that often the great things that are talked about in the scripture start with people who just simply start with basic obedience, basic service to the Lord. On today's show, we're going to talk about basic service, basic perseverance, leading to the kingdom of God advancing in powerful ways on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Thanks for listening to the show. I am Dr. Doug Birch. I pastor, our co-pastor, Evergreen Church in Auburn, Washington, and I'm so glad you could listen to today's fairly spiritual show. We broadcast every week on Fridays right here on this station, and occasionally I also throw in an extra podcast uh, during the weekdays. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, uh, you can do it through iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or Blurk. Actually, Blurk isn't a thing, but there's so many different platforms. Uh, You can find one, just search The Fairly Spiritual Show, and you can subscribe to the show so you don't miss a show, because really, all the cool kids listen to every single show. (laughs) Don't worry, no one listens to every single show, not even my mother. Uh, So with that, also go to our website, fairlyspiritual.org, fairlyspiritual.org. You can find past podcasts. You can find ways to support this show if you want to keep it on the radio. There's so many ways you can support us. And also you can find my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. That book is particularly good uh, if you don't like being in church, if you don't like being around people, uh, or if you're trying to figure out why do we even go to church or why are we to be a part of community. Uh, There are Sunday schools, small groups, men's groups who are using it as a uh, resource where they gather together, go through the chapters and see how they can exist in community, even when they don't want to exist in community. So that's the community of God, a theology of the church from a reluctant pastor. But enough with the announcements. Let's get into things today. If you want to text the show, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. I want to talk about greatness, great things. You know, I think most of us want to do great things. We want to have God do amazing things in our life or be a part of amazing things. We want to look back and say, hey, I was a part of helping that happen. Or, you know, it's not just an ego thing, although it might be an ego thing, but we want to do something that's significant. Uh, One thing this reminds me of is I had a counselor on a former radio show that I did. Uh, Daniel Pryor is his name. Great guy. And Daniel said to me once, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, but he, he said, you know, men love to dream dreams. But once they begin to pursue those dreams, it feels like work. And we don't necessarily like work. And that that really stuck with me, because isn't that the truth? We'll be, oh, Lord, would you just speak to me? Would you just give me a vision? Would you just give me a dream? And, And maybe we get an inclination or a dream or a vision, 
And then when we start living that thing out at the beginning, it's kind of fun. We're like, oh, wow, this is great, and God's with us. But eventually, when you start pursuing the dreams of God or you start implementing the things you need to do, it feels like work. It's like uh, painting a house. I don't know, any kind of home project. You ever get excited about a home project? Some of you guys, you, you get way too excited, and you need to go on vacation, or you need to just relax in the yard instead of starting another home project. But I feel like I can't do an intervention, and you're going to do it anyway. But I, I know how this goes, right? You start painting the house, and it's exciting when you saw that ugly color, and then you, you're just painting these big, broad strokes, and wow, look at this. This thing's really getting painted, and maybe you have friends come over, and it's a work party, and and everybody's painting the house. Oh, some of you are saying, I wish. But, you know, it just looks great. And you're like, this is, this is what it's supposed to be about. But then eventually what happens? Eventually you get like 80% through with that project and you got 20% left to go or 10% left to go or 5% left to go. And it's just work. Your friends are no longer there. It's just you in the evening trying to paint some trim under, you know, underneath some gutter on a ladder that you feel like you're going to fall off, and, and you're just like, I don't want to do this. But you get it done, right? Because you have to finish the project. You can't have the whole house painted, but just 10% or 20% a different color. Sometimes when we're pursuing God's will for our life, we're all about the dream stage, but the work stage is something we don't necessarily want to pursue. Or we're waiting for a big dream and a big vision and a big assignment instead of taking the normal assignments, the boring assignments, the difficult assignments, doing the work. If I were to look at American Christianity, that's often the case. You know, we get very excited up front, but when perseverance has to kick in, we're not so excited anymore. We're very eager to share our faith, to share our opinions, but we're not that eager to serve in places and in positions that aren't very exciting, that aren't very fun to serve in. And an example of that is I've been reading uh, through Acts in our church and preaching through Acts and really enjoying uh, the book of Acts, but there's the section of the creating of the deacons, right? And so there's a, there's a passage here that makes the disciples kind of seem like jerks. I don't think they're jerks, but the first time you read it, it kind of makes the disciples seem like jerks. Um, they are going to the temple at least in the morning and the evening, probably at noontime as well, for prayer. And they go in to pray. They're often in Solomon's colonnade. Uh, they do prayers, and then they begin to preach and teach, and miracles occur, and the gospel's advancing, and more and more people are becoming a part of the way, part of uh, becoming Christians, followers of Jesus. And so they're doing this work of going to the temple in the morning, in the evening, at noon, and, and amazing things are happening, miracles are occurring. But along with this, uh, as people are becoming Christians, they're becoming kicked out of their families, they're becoming disowned by their families, and so there's more poor people in the church. And so they got to take care of these poor people. So people are selling their possessions, and the disciples are distributing you know, the money uh, and distributing what they can you know, purchase with the money to help those in need. So a conflict occurs that while the disciples are praying in the morning and at noon and in the evening in the temple uh, and in the courts and Solomon's colonnade and when they're preaching and these miracles are occurring, they have people coming up to them and bothering them about conflicts that are occurring in the distribution of food. There's a conflict that the Greek-speaking Jews are not being treated as well as the Hebrew-speaking Jews. 
And so this conflict arises, and the disciples basically say, we don't have time for this. We have to devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. We must gather at these important times. This is crucial that we go to the temple and pray in the morning and the evening and also in uh, the afternoon. That's when everyone gathers. That's when we witness Jesus. And then we preach after that. And this is how the gospel is advancing in our midst. It is crucial that we do this. We don't have time. And then they say this statement that seems, you know, at first glance, kind of rude. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, that's kind of like, yeah, we don't want to just serve tables like waiters or servants. We, we need to do the important stuff. That's almost what it sounds like. And so this is how the deacons are formed. And when you read that, it just, it just seems kind of harsh. But here's the humor of God and the humor of the Holy Spirit. So they create the deacons with this idea. Like the disciples are like, we have to spend time with God. We have to preach and pray. So we need to create this other category to serve tables because we, we, it's not right for us to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That sounds a little dismissive about that work. And so this is when the deacons are formed. And I'm not going to read the whole list, but uh, two of the deacons that are formed are Stephen and Philip. Now, this is what's so amazing about the book of Acts, immediately following the, the formation of these deacons. Now, why were these deacons hired? They were basically hired, or they were appointed for what purpose? To deal with the stuff the disciples didn't want to deal with. Some of you might be pastors, you know what that is. Uh, you do the stuff the senior pastor doesn't want to do, or you volunteer in the church and you do the stuff no one else wants to do, or, or in your marriage or in your family, you do the stuff no one else wants to do. So these deacons, these, these men, they volunteer. And, and they, they pick these men, and the only requirement is that they are of good repute and full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And they appoint them to this duty. What is the duty they appoint them to? To deal with this waiting on tables and making sure the right widows get fed. That's the duty they're appointed to. And two of the people who are mentioned are Stephen and Philip. Here's the sense of humor of the Bible. We don't hear anything about Stephen waiting tables. And we don't hear anything about Philip waiting tables. Because immediately following that, and that's in Acts 6, immediately following that, what we hear is Stephen is a mighty man of God whose face radiates the glory of the Lord and who has the ability to speak and teach with great authority, so much authority that people begin to argue with him. And his, his preaching is so powerful that they become enraged and Stephen is martyred. He's martyred actually probably by the Apostle Paul being the one who's encouraged that martyrdom where Stephen is stoned to death. So Stephen is appointed to a position to wait on tables. But what do we hear? What does he become? He becomes a proclaimer of the gospel. He becomes a lightning rod in the church. And he becomes the first martyr in this New Testament context after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, what's happening with the church in Jerusalem. So Stephen's mentioned. Now, what happens immediately, and follow me on this, immediately after Stephen is martyred, there's this huge persecution. You can see what happened. They were afraid to touch the disciples. They go after Stephen. They find out that nothing happens to them. So they're like, okay, now we're free to go after everyone else. So then there's a huge persecution where it says, oh, the Christians were scattered. Everyone who was a Christian was scattered out of Jerusalem except for the 12, the disciples. So they still wouldn't lay their hands on the disciples. But you know who they did lay their hands on? The deacons. So the deacons are cast out of the city, the other Christians are cast out of the city, and what do we find? We find Philip, who was appointed to a position to wait on tables, is now cast out of Jerusalem, 
not in his original role to wait on tables while the disciples are in the temple praying, while they're in the courtyards praying and preaching, Philip now is going off with these martyred, uh, are these people who've been cast out of Jerusalem, who's been, who've been sent into a new cities, new regions. He's now their leader as they're being scattered outside of Jerusalem. He's now their de facto disciple because the disciples are in Jerusalem, but Philip isn't because he's been scattered. And that's what happens with all the deacons. These deacons who were supposedly appointed to wait tables are now all, except for Stephen who was martyred, they're all sent out to where the scattered people are, and now they are leading these scattered communities wherever these communities have gone. They're not serving that original purpose of waiting on tables. Now, why do I bring this up? There are so many powerful spiritual principles in this. First, these men were just willing to serve the needs of the church, and and that's so crucial. They were willing just to say, what is needed? The disciples need time to pray, and they need time to preach the word. So we will do whatever it takes. And so they volunteered themselves and said, fine, while you're praying, while you're preaching, while you're in the temple, and you get to be around these glorious activities where people are being healed and the proclamations, think of the excitement that's going on during that time. While you're doing that, we're going to be doing the grunt work. We're going to be dealing with people fighting over who's getting enough food. We're going to be doing all this stuff that no one else wants to do the waiting on table stuff, because we don't care. We're called to serve Christ and to serve Christ's church. Now, the other thing that happens, think about this. The disciples didn't want to wait on tables because it was keeping them from prayer and preaching the word. So what did these deacons have to do? These deacons are not able to to pray as much or at the same times that the disciples are allowed to pray because they're busy waiting on tables and helping the poor. So that meant that these deacons had to find extra time Time on the side, time when no one else was gathering, time when no one else was going to the temple, time when no one else was in the colonnade, times when the disciples weren't preaching and teaching, and they had to find their own time to be with God. They had to make their own schedules. They had to be more disciplined than the disciples, and that the disciples went at the specific times that everyone went to pray. Well, they couldn't do that. They were busy working, helping the poor with these feeding initiatives. So see the powerful spiritual example that these deacons give us, these waiters, these people who are doing the the quote-unquote less important job. They're giving their life to this less important job, and on the side, they're meeting with God in any way possible. And we know they're meeting with God in any way possible because the scripture says that Stephen, his face shone with the glory of God. His face shone. So he had been witnessing God even though he couldn't witness what the disciples were doing because he's busy dealing with these disputes. So the problem that was for the disciples, the disciples were like, we can't you know, pray and preach and wait on these tables. Stephen's like, well, I can. I can wait on these tables, I can pray, and I can preach. Because immediately it shows that Stephen is waiting on the tables. He's been praying so much so that his face radiates the glory of the Lord, And he's been preaching so much that people are offended with what he's preaching, and he becomes the first martyr. Then we see this next thing, that they all signed up for this one position, and the position is, well, we're just going to be waiting on tables. And when the church is scattered, Philip rises up into a position of leadership, and now he's doing what the disciples are doing, but he's not doing it in Jerusalem. Uh, He's doing it where the church has been scattered. So he started with one position that had no repute, had no fame in it, and now God has elevated him to a very important position 
in the church. These are crucial examples for us. Sometimes we're like, oh Lord, would you show me the direction in life I need to go? Would you show me, you know, my great big plan? Do you want me to be a missionary? Do you want me to be a pastor? Do you want me to be a preacher or a teacher? Or we think positional. What great big position do you want me to have? And I think often the Lord is just saying this to you. Where is there a need in the church? Serve that need. Be faithful. Who needs help? Who needs service? Who's overwhelmed? Who needs help? Who needs help to do their job? Are you willing just to serve someone? Are you willing just to take a position to do something where you get no fame from it, no glory from it, something that other people don't want to do, something that other people think is a distraction to their ability to do what God has called them to do? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do the administration that someone else doesn't want to do? You know, right now in the church, some of the most amazing vessels, some of the most amazing leaders, some of the most amazing servants are doing work that gets no notoriety whatsoever. They're the ones who are organizing the nursery schedule. They're the ones trying to get, so who's going to be working in the nursery or, or who's going to be working in children's church or, or, or the people who are organizing who's going to be on the worship team. And just on their own, volunteering, administrating these ministries. They're the office assistants. They're the secretaries. They're the people who are doing, you know, typing up the things at the last second so that the pastor can have the notes all clear or so the email can be sent out or so the grammar is correct. They're the ones making the calls that no one else wants to make. They're the ones looking at the procedures to make sure the procedures are right. They're the ones who look at the plumbing in the church to make sure the plumbing's okay or the roofing or make sure the grounds are okay and, and just do all the stuff that no one else wants to do, who vacuum the floors, who, who get the wax off of the chairs after the candlelight service, who come early to make sure things are set up and who leave late because they want to make sure everything is clean, who make sure the bathrooms are clean. These are the servants, the choice servants of God. I'd encourage you, if you're waiting for some big plan or some big, you know, Lord, I, I need something important to follow you, I would say that's a lie. I mean, obviously, if there's something God called you to do and he's opened a door for you to do it, then you do that. But I would take the example of the deacons. The deacons are like, well, we already have disciples. We're not disciples right now, so where's the need? Well, here's a need. There's a dispute about feeding people, so we'll do this. And here's the other thing. The disciples, because their job was difficult, because they were working at a time, uh, or the deacons, because their job was difficult, and they were working at a time where they couldn't pray at normal times and preach at normal times, did they give up? Did they just say, well, I won't pray as much, or I won't preach as much? No. They just worked harder. They just prayed at other times. I think about this as well. There are people in your church and in my church who they've been volunteering in the nursery, and because of that, they hardly ever get to hear the sermon that the pastor preaches. But instead of growing bitter or grumbly, by the way, it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to give people the opportunity to hear the message. But what do they do? They find ways to feed themselves. They find ways to listen to the message or to listen to other messages or to go to a Bible study or be encouraged. The obstacles that they face don't keep them from growing. They just persevere more. They just become more integrous in their faith. They just work harder. So because they're taking care of the kids or they're teaching Sunday school or they're getting th things ready for the banquet after church and they miss the end of the sermon... Then they do something else. They go to the Bible study or they just pray in the morning and they pray in the evening and they welcome the presence of God. 
This is what I see in the deacons. This role of the deacons of Stephen and Philip and others, it's powerful what they did. They decided, okay, we don't need positions of power and authority. The disciples see this position as, you know, waiting on tables versus doing the ministry of preaching and prayer. And then the author of Acts says, these men who took this position, guess what happened to them? They became mighty preachers who radiated the glory of God, and they became mighty leaders in the church. But I don't think they took these positions to become mighty leaders. They just took these positions because they were faithful. You can't get around this. The kingdom of God advances through perseverance. Character is developed through perseverance. And even if you have a title of importance, eventually pursuing the kingdom of God or advancing the kingdom of God becomes work and you want to quit. You know how spiritual development occurs? Do the same job over and over and over and over again unto the Lord. Don't quit. Persevere. Stay in that community, that church. You know, in America, we have people go from church to church to church every five years, or for a season they're committed, and then they're not committed. We don't know how to persevere. Or we only do the thing that we feel like doing versus the thing God has called us to do. You want to learn how to grow in the character of Christ? See where there's a need in the church and volunteer. Go up to the pastor and say, what do you need? I'll serve in that area, and I'll serve long term, and I don't need anything from you. I'm here to serve the Lord. What's something you don't want to do? I'll do it. What's a messy job here that you want done, that no one will do, that the church doesn't have money for, but needs done? I'll do it. What's a ministry here that no one wants to do because it's really hard and it's difficult? I'll do it. What's something I can do for you that'll free you up to do something else? I'll do it. And I'll just keep doing it. I won't do it without, I won't do it with expectations. I won't do it for any reason but just to serve the Lord. Are you willing to persevere? Am I willing to persevere? James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. These deacons, they started waiting tables, but when persecution came to the church and they were scattered, they didn't give up. They just led the churches wherever they were. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So many people give up. They give up on the church, they give up on their marriages, they give up on families, they give up on friendships. They get disgruntled, they get bored, they get tired. Perseverance is commitment. You commit, you commit to the church God has called you to, you commit to the relationships God has called you to, you become someone who perseveres and you serve others for the sake of serving Christ. That's where the character of Christ is developed in each of us. Romans 5, 3-5 says this, More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. You want character? Character comes through endurance. That means we have to do stuff we, we have to endure. That's difficult. That becomes work. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. See how hope is tied to endurance? We want hope to endure. Like, if I had hope, I would endure. That's not how it works. Endure. Endurance brings hope. That means we do jobs we don't want to do, and as we're doing that job, we don't want to be doing the job, but we do it unto the Lord. Isn't this a great story? The disciples say, we don't want to be dealing with these conflicts about who's getting fed between the Greek-speaking women and the Hebrew-speaking women, and we don't have time for that to wait on tables, quote-unquote. But we need someone to do this. And so some men 
who are respected and full of the Holy Spirit say, we'll do it. We'll do what you don't want to do. We'll take this job of quote-unquote waiting on tables. And what do these men do? They faithfully serve the Lord. They find times to pray and seek the presence of God. They become mighty preachers, mighty, mighty testimonies of the goodness of God. They are elevated to these powerful positions, and they're also elevated to martyrdom and to suffering greatly for the kingdom of God. Because they were willing to persevere, not for their own fame or their own glory, but to persevere for the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. You and I were called to persevere for the name of Jesus Christ, and there are jobs that are appointed for you to do. Others don't want to do them, but you and I can do them because we have been given the gift of perseverance. Persevere, endure, grow in the character of Christ. Take the position of deacon gladly. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. May God richly bless you. If you want to text me, here's the number, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. Uh, for this show to stay on the air, we need more people to donate right now. We don't have enough donations for this to stay on for more than a year. So please donate. FairlySpiritual.org is how you donate to keep this show on the air. FairlySpiritual.org. Thank you for your support. Your prayers, your donations keep us on the air. God loves you. Make room for him. He knows you by name. I'm going to see you next week. Thanks for listening. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.